This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's Wharton Moneyball Highlight Show, we talk with Eric Eager. He is the vice president of strategy at Sumer Sports. Sumer is a relatively new, about a year old startup in the analytics um, personnel management, NFL management space. Eric is a longtime analyst in the world of football and a longtime friend of the show. We pre- we preview the 2023 season with Eric Eager. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball Sports Analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Masty hosting with two of my longtime collaborators, faculty colleagues at Wharton, Eric Bradlow of Marketing and Statistics and Audie Weiner of Statistics, also the head of Wharton Sports Analytics and Business Initiative, the legendary Audie Weiner. And we have uh, one of our favorite guests on any sport, but especially on NFL. Eric Eager is joining us. Eric, formerly of PFF, but it's been a while now. You've been Sumer Sports for a while. VP of Strategy at Sumer Sports and co-host of a terrific podcast, Sumer's Podcast. He does that with Thomas Dimitrov. Fantastic look. It's a great counterbalance between a traditional analytics guy and a traditional general manager. And each kind of educating the other on the perspective that they weren't brought up with. And it's a it's a nice balance. Can recommend that. Eric, it's a busy time of year. We know we appreciate you making time for us. Oh, you guys are my favorites, though. I that that's uh when you guys asked uh for me to come on, I said, okay, I'm gonna clear my my Tuesday out a little bit. I love ta- talking football with you guys. It's been what, since the Super Bowl that we've talked, and and that was a uh it was leading up to another Chiefs game as as we have one Thursday. Oh wow, that's a nice connection. We we you're one that we see in the off season. We see you offline a little bit, so the conversations get mixed together. But I am curious. Uh, you're you know you're 40 hours away from seeing your beloved Chiefs kick off the season. How are you feeling about their prospect, especially in an increasingly stacked AFC? Is it possible that they keep on making it out of that conference given all of the competition there? Well, I, I think that they I have them power rated number one. Um, although with Kelsey being injured today, you know, you might they might end up uh, depending upon how long that is. Uh, Buffalo might cross cross over them a little bit here. But no, I, I, I think it's I think it's, you know, and the betting markets say this. I mean, they're an underdog, of course. Every team is to, to make it out of their conference. Um, I think that there's a lot of teams that make it hard on them. Uh, week in and week out in the AFC, but also in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it, it's it, without Chris Jones, possibly without Travis Kelsey here with the injured knee in practice today, it'll be tougher. Mahomes, you know, outdid himself last year, uh, winning MVP and Super Bowl MVP, the first player to do that since 1999. And he did that without, you know, Tyreek Hill, who they traded uh, for the draft picks in, in uh, March and April. So I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say pessimistic about the Chiefs, but I'm just like, you know, there, there's a there's something that comes with winning a Super Bowl where you realize they're kind of in a dynasty and it's about winning like two of the next six years and not necessarily winning this particular year that as a as a fan, not even an analyst, but as a fan, I almost judge them kind of in that realm more than I do like, OK, they need to win this one Super Bowl this particular year to validate whatever they're doing. That's super interesting. I think helpful. I mean, one, you just, I mean, you, you got to get some breaks. Even when you have a Superman like Mahomes, you've got to get some breaks. And one game, you know, a, a, lot, a fluky loss can take you out of home field and that can make a difference, all, all kinds of things. But also you're saying, also, you're saying just realistically, 
base rate getting out of conference can't be that high. I can't go into the season with that high an expectation. Let me just give you the, the numbers coming out of the Sims. Running Sims, so it's Massey Peabody Sim technology, but using market numbers for it. Like, the, you know, you can run some power rankings off of the preseason spreads for various games. Running that combination, we get the Chiefs at 16.7. Let's call it 17% to come out of the AFC. Now, that's tops. But that's not very high for the top, the top rated to come out of there. And when you're the Chiefs fan, like Eric Eager is, you know, that's, it's nice to be tops, but that's, you know, that's odds against, like strongly against coming out of the AFC. Yeah. And, and that's always hard when you're an analyst, right? When you look at how difficult it is, like I personally, and, and, you know, the team that I'm more high on this year than the market, even if the market is fairly high on them. Is Buffalo, and I look at Buffalo. You talk about a team that the last two seasons has been, you know, one of the best teams in football. When you look at advanced metrics on both sides of the ball, when you look at point differential, the last two years the Bills have been the best in the league, and yet they made the conference title game during the pandemic year in 2020, and they've gotten no further than the divisional round the last two years. And you look and. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Colts back when Manning was kind of in his heyday where they go to New England and get beat. They go to New England and get beat. Uh, the one year that Pittsburgh won the Super Bowl from the sixth seed as a wild card, they lose to them at home. And it's like, oh, this team can't win the big one. And it's like, well, no, the odds are incredibly stacked against even the favorite to win a Super Bowl, let alone make a Super Bowl every year, let alone win it, that we're just looking at kind of the uh, the other side of variance. And so – I'm actually, you know, you could make an argument last year that the Chiefs won the were the best team in the league and they won their Super Bowl, quote unquote. But it's been a long time since the favorite going into the playoffs, the definitive favorite going into the playoffs has even won the Super Bowl. And I think that those are sobering words when you're a team that is trying to win any particular year. And that's why I always think that, you know, the team building strategies that that to me make the most sense are the ones that try to maximize the number of times you're in that basin of, you know, championship caliber teams uh, every year for, let's say, half a decade. And that's hard to do. But I think that that's what the Chiefs have accomplished. And that's what, you know, the Patriots having, what, eight straight conference title game appearances before Brady left, um, that's what they accomplished. And it's always like they win the year that the Falcons were amazing and they win the year that the Chiefs were amazing and they lose the years that they were the best team, like 2007 (laughs) and 2011. And, and that's just the way that this thing works. It's like variance 101. But I think, it, you know, as a, you know, if you're a Chiefs fan, you obviously have come out of that with two Super Bowl victories. If you're a Bills fan, you've been about as good of a football team and you've come out of it with nothing, not even an appearance in the Super Bowl. And that just talks about like sort of the sobering reality of not only picking and betting and, and, and making, you know, predictions about the league, but also about what it's like to, to run those football teams. Or, Eric, be a fan of the football teams, especially when you've been around long enough to live through four straight Super Bowls by the Bills and not winning one. So they've been in that category before and not had the breaks at the end. Um, But I love the strategy. Of course, the Rams a couple years ago gave the story that's going to counterbalance that strategy for all time. And, And for those of you who are trying to build edges, you're probably fine with that because teams are going to make some bad decisions as a result. Yeah, the Rams are the best thing that ever happened to the Chiefs. I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, right? If you think back and you're like, okay, you know, because I was at that conference title game where they lost to the Bengals, there probably would have been, you know, maybe three, four point favorites against the Rams in the Super Bowl had they met up with them the, the following week. 
Um, but in, in a lot of ways, you look at the Rams go all in to win that particular Super Bowl, and then they don't even catch the one or two seed. They win from the four seed against another four seed. And in a lot of ways, and you guys know this by watching all sports, it's sometimes the lucky team or person that begets an, a decent amount of suboptimal decisions. So then you go with like Buffalo and they throw a huge contract at an aging Von Miller because, you know, we, damn it, we got to win this year. Or you look at, you know, the same thing with the Chargers and what they've done as far as spending and free agency. Uh, you look at, um, you know, you, you just look all around. I mean, the 49ers, you know, went all in on, on Trey Lance maybe not necessarily chasing variants, but just, again, an all-in move that has certainly made them weaker. And I just think, you know, it's it's the, you know, part of being a human is acknowledging that those things happen, but part of being an analyst and a statistician is, is determining how repeatable those are. And yeah. I think all but the Chiefs and the New England Patriots ways of building a dynasty, which is to get a great quarterback, to have a great coach, and to be very frugal and build around them, like that's the that's the path in the NFL, and yet a lot of other teams win other ways because of the noise we talked about in the previous discussion. Well, you're taking us right up to the doorstep of the Philadelphia Eagles, and it could be Eric was trying to jump in here, but it's just too obvious. We got to hear what your take is on them because they many people think they're one of the smart, what, what most uh, wisely built teams, and they're following philosophy consistently over years. Which you know that alone is hard to do any philosophy consistently over years. And there is a question. Some people still have questions about their quarterback. So moving, we're just we're just going to play at the top of both conferences here with you, Eric. We've 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 pursued interesting lower level storylines like the Denver Broncos with other guests, but we'll just jump from the favorite in the AFC to the favorite of the NFC and ask you how should we be thinking about the Eagles, especially coming out of the 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 terms you've been using as you were talking about the Chiefs. Yeah. When I look at the Eagles, there's a couple things that give them an advantage, and it's not really like a hidden edge. It's just a preference. Um, the Eagles with, uh, uh, you know, with, with Lurie, they spend, you know, they spend up until the cap in ways that are completely legal and in ways that as long as you're willing to deal with the ups and downs are sustainable right so if you look at their league table on over the cap or spot track or something like all of their great players have like base minimum salaries they're all bonus prorations over the course of years and years and years and so what they essentially are able to do is retain top end talent and they're a team because i think jalen hurts is a good quarterback i don't think you put him in that tier with josh allen or, or justin herbert or joe burrow or mahomes He's a good quarterback, but knowing that you need to actually build around him. And historically, that has not been particularly easy to do in the NFL. Mahomes last year was the first quarterback in league history to win a Super Bowl with more than 13 or 14 percent of the salary cap uh, attributed to him. But now the Eagles have built, you know, through these instruments like void years and, you know, uh, rolling roster bonuses and things like that. They've done a pretty good job of of extending a window that usually closes up pretty fast when you extend a player like Jalen Hurts. Interesting. And you're, you're pointing to some are really arcane aspects of running an NFL team. We talk in analytics world, we talk a lot about in-game strategy and obviously we talk a lot about personnel, 
and salary cap is personnel, but it's a different side of personnel. It's not player evaluation. It's how you're going to, it's how you're going to comp them, but also how you're going to structure that compensation is what you're really talking about. And I, I, I think one of the things you, you've emphasized in past conversations is that Lurie is an owner. Not only is he analytics forward and he hires people who are analytics forward. And so you've got the philosophy top down. He's also an owner who's willing to take some of the cash consequences of this kind of creative salary cap management, if I have that correct. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you spend you know anywhere from ten to thirty percent more per year than some other owners. So you know, take take a contrast. And again, I'm familiar with this team, but Kansas City is almost always in the bottom third of the NFL in year to year spending, and that's because the owner is not like when you give a when you give a Jalen Hurts that contract, the cap hits relative to the cash hits are incredibly low, and but the that those. It's sort of this dichotomy or this, like, I guess, paradox in the NFL where the lower you make the cap hit, the more the owner has to invest in a weird way. Right. So if you if you if you pay as you go, which is how teams like Tampa Bay uh, before Brady acted, it's kind of how Kansas City acts. Cincinnati's another one where you could sort of pay as you go. The upfront cash that an owner has to pay is is minimal, like you pay the players as you sort of go around and so forth. Um, and. And that's okay if you if you do this this um, restructure slash you know proration sort of idea. You give the player the same amount of money, but you give it to them up front and extend and extend it over multiple years as opposed to multiple weeks. And so it's just a different it's a different mode of operating. But the way the NFL works, because the cap goes up almost every single year, it affords those teams more money because the cap value of a dollar goes down every single year. And so ultimately you're buying now and paying not only an interest-free loan, but effectively for in, in real cap dollars um, uh, pays you back. And, and so that that's an edge I think the Eagles have. And you add to that, of course, like, you know, people like Zach Drapkin in the building, who's a, obviously a, a Wharton graduate and a, uh, the former producer of the show and, and all that kind of stuff you, you, you add in they're, they're, they're squeezing out edges in other places as well. Got it. Super interesting. Thanks for that little education. I'm going to need to continue to have the conversations with you to fully stay on top of it over the years. Eric, we've talked about a top team in the AFC, a top team in the NFC. What would you say is one of the most interesting analytics storylines for the year? Either either team or player, but also maybe, you know, technology or model. Is What do you think the interesting analytics questions are going into this season? I think teams are acknowledging now a lot more. Um, well, for one, I think, you know, teams are acknowledging the value of players 23 to 53 on the roster a lot more than they were historically. So, you're getting a lot of holdouts right now. So you're getting Nick Bosa's holding out of San Francisco. Um, Brian Burns, surprisingly, holding out of Carolina. Chris Jones holding out of Kansas City. And, you know, I think that teams are starting to kind of understand that, yeah, having great players is important and having, you know, blue chip type players is really important. But if it comes at the expense of depth and it comes at the expense of the weakest players on your team, Ultimately, those things are going to go. Ultimately, those things are going to crush you, especially if you are a a team. And and it's it's funny. It, it kind of reminds me of how things went when you studied like theoretical ecology, where a species that's like fledgling, you know, it's all about kind of growing as fast as possible. No one cares. And I feel like a team that is that's a little bit like be, before the the contention sort of window 
it's all about getting the best players into the building and figuring it out later. Much like for a species that like an exotic species, it's all about growing. Right. And then once the species is established, then it's all about cooperation and fitting the pieces in and all this kind of stuff. And for contending teams, it's almost never the, 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 the blue chip players that win or lose them a Super Bowl, except for quarterback. It's almost always kind of those secondary players, the Chiefs last year having the most games played out of any team uh, by their draft picks last year. It's all about players 33 or 23, I'm sorry, through 53 and the weak link systems sort of framework that I think is finally getting its way into the analysis uh, paradigm in the NFL. So the weak link systems is paradigm is something we can talk more about on another occasion. You have been one of the pioneers of that kind of thinking, for example, saying that an offensive line is a weak link system or a defensive backfield is a weak link system. Saying so it's not about having a star there. It's not, it's about not having a very exploitable weakness. Before we leave your general idea, though, about the importance of depth and that being something teams are catching up on, are there any rosters here in the last 30 seconds? Are there any rosters you think are especially deep or especially shallow, so vulnerable to this theoretical ecology idea you're talking about? Yeah, I I think Cincinnati is incredibly – Cincinnati is incredibly uh, deep, and they do things like draft Miles Murphy this year a few years ahead of – when, uh, you know, Hubbard and Hendrickson have deals and like you look at their secondary when they made the Super Bowl in 2021, they they acquired, I think, six to eight players who had all had starting experience in the NFL, none of whom were pro bowlers, um, but they were all players who were who were solid. So I think Cincinnati is the one that I would point to as a very resilient team. Interesting. Resilient with also some high end talent on the tops. That's a nice combination. All right. Listen, Eric, thanks, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. For Matty Dats, Deion Simpkins, Adi Weiner, Eric Bradlow, in absentia, Shane Jensen, thank you for listening. Come back and join us next time. Enjoy the NFL this weekend, and in general, enjoy your sports. 